0: So today on The Wrap Report, we are going to be talking about, well, a lot of sticky issues, but specifically, we want to talk about some things that are, well, we've seen from the Truth Matters conference. We're going to chat about that. We're also going to be talking a lot of time about the culture war on Christianity. And if you're not aware, there is a war going on, and that's coming up right now on The Wrap Report.
1: Welcome to The Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is the ministry of Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to
0: strivingforeternity.org. All right, I have with me a special guest co-host that I'm excited about. If you are reading any of the blogs on strivingforeternity.org, you will know him if you're reading those blogs because every Sunday morning, he drops a new episode of Come Let Us Worship. And those are very good blogs. If you aren't reading those every Sunday morning, you should. But Bud Alheim is the editor at Striving for Eternity. He does all the editing for our blogs, and he and I were recently out at the Truth Matters conference with our brides, and so we figured we would kind of get together and talk about some of the things we saw there, some of the things that are some of the ramifications of that, but more importantly, we wanted to talk about some culture issues. So, Bud, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great, Andrew. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to sit beside you here
0: no it's uh, it's really cold where you're at right you you already have your first snowstorm you've had oh, to dig out the shovel
1: you, you know i think it was we had a freeze come through it's about 62 this morning when i went outside so yeah we are uh yeah we're in the throes of something fierce uh,
0: down there in sunny florida i know i know you suffer so <laughs> someone has to suffer for christ in florida <laughs>
1: You know, it has been said that uh, that uh, being born in the South makes me a Southerner. In your case, wherever you're born, where you live now, it just merely makes you a human being. So I, I kind of have that going for me.
0: <laughs> so you and I were out at... Um we were out at Truth Matters together. There's been some blowback. We didn't get to talk about it yet on the rap report, but there was the blowback with Beth Moore because of one statement. What was that statement from John MacArthur that kind of blew up the internet for a couple of days?
1: Go home.
0: Yeah. And, you know, people don't know all the context of that. I think that one of the things, first off, for folks who don't know, the statement, Beth Moore, go home, Was in the context of Todd Friel saying to all the guys on the panel, I'm going to give you some quick association. I want one word answers or short answers to what I say. And he gives like these short things. It's just something Todd does. He said to John MacArthur, Beth Moore, and John thought about it just said go home. Which, by the way, if you want to check out the new website BethmoreGoHome.com. it's the official Bethmore Go Home swag coming soon. It's, uh, we got to, but we do have a website for that. Um, <laughs> 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 you think I'm kidding? Oh I know,
1: no! I saw that by the way. I think you texted me the link to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it, if we're going to have one for JustinIWin.com, we we should have now. For for the record, I I was not behind the getting behind Beth Moore go home I thought it was great (laughs) no no I I understand that but but I do think it's funny but the I think the real issue the internet blew up over Beth Moore go home because it was I think a lot easier to to try to characterize John MacArthur as being a misogynist saying that he was saying that she should be home in the kitchen and things like that. I think it's easier for them to be able to say that than to really address the real issues like what Justin Peters did the day before that. Or actually it was that day in his in his session. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean Justin laid out a very clear reason why Beth Moore is a problem, why it is the fact that she's a false teacher. He he gave out plenty of examples of in her own words speaking False prophecies, false teaching, claiming that God speaks to her, God brushes her hair, God calls her babe and honey, which you and I at dinner had a conversation about that because I've counseled a lot of people who've been abused, mostly women. And I I was asking you questions about her claims of being sexually assaulted because I'm starting to question that. And I told you this, and maybe we could talk about this before we get into the church that we were going to talk about, but I'm just starting to question it because what I see when I deal with people that have been physically and sexually abused, they do not like affection like that. They they shy away from that. They have a tendency not to want to be having someone call them babe and honey. Just everything with her. She never, if that I know of, maybe I'm wrong and someone can give me the facts. I, I don't know where she's given any details Every victim I know that comes out wants to name the name of the person to protect others, to basically to kind of as a way of getting back at the person, shaming the person. So she hasn't named the name. She doesn't give the details. It became something she's really talked about from what I can gather. Um, really after the Me Too movement, I've heard rumor that she's mentioned it before that, but not as, not as much. So it almost just, and I'm admitting this is me just speculating. So if people have details, hey, share them with me. Info at org. I'll be happy to look at it and to reevaluate. But what I do think is it seems like she capitalizes on these things by claiming she was a victim. No one can criticize her. By doing it after the Me Too movement, it, it, it gave her a sudden rise. And whether those things just happened to be the case and she really was abused, I don't know. But I don't know many abuse victims that would be saying that someone's calling her honey and babe. It just seems odd to me. What do you, what do you think, Bud?
1: Well, I, I agree with that. I think that uh, part of her, perhaps, motivation, um, because like you said, I haven't either seen any evidence, but in the culture that we're in, particularly with the, e, the Me Too movement, you don't really need evidence. You just need the claim. Uh, in 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 culture you merely make the claim and you're to be believed in fact I think that was a hashtag for a while believe the believe believe her believe the woman something like that believe
0: the victim or, yeah believe the victim
1: yeah um, so there's that sort of default position that if you make the claim it's legitimate that can't be questioned but then suddenly that shifts you into uh, this victim category which is by virtue of that, in the postmodern uh, world that we live in, by virtue of that victim status, you've got a platform now that you didn't have before. Well, certainly she's had a platform in uh, in SBC life, uh, and now she's got one that sort of spans between the SBC with what's been going on with the sexual abuse in that convention, as well as a platform in the culture uh, more broadly, with the me too movement so she's she 's effectively straddled that uh and of course that's uh that 's an issue
0: we see in Corinthians to have nothing to do with the world would to be separate so well, and we also see her with, unfortunately, and where I think many of us have the, the greater concern, she's also straddling the Word of Faith, NAR movement. And that's a real problem because what you end up seeing there is this bringing in of NAR into Southern Baptist churches. And I think that all of this is where we're seeing, and this is what we wanted to, to chat about, is that Grace Life Church has, uh, this is in Alabama, <clears throat> one of the, the larger SBC churches has decided to publicly, there's a video, I'll I'll give a link to this, but they basically said that the issue of the support for Beth Moore is the last straw. They are now leaving the Southern Baptist Church, and I think that this is where I see with the Southern Baptists. You have a bunch of conservatives who fought to get the control of the southern baptist church because they saw it was going liberal they've got control but because they won't speak out against their own they're fallen prey to the very thing that got that convention going liberal in the first place and we we had an episode of rap report a couple episodes ago where jim osmond justin peters and i talked about beth moore and jim asked the question does she you know does would she become president and justin said no and i said i don't think you know justin said she doesn't want it and i said i I think she prefers the power she has she's in the background and now every president's going to have to bow down to her to get see what she thinks on everything
1: exactly
0: and this is going to be the problem i think with the southern baptists because they won't say anything against her she now is coming out we we were on the rap report we played the clip where she was defending egalitarianism, the idea that women can be at a pulpit on a Sunday preaching as she does. Mm-hmm. There's been recent video where now she's coming out and referring to our same-sex brothers and sisters. That's a problem. Especially since she won't answer the letter that the open letter that was out to her asking, does she support homosexuality? She wouldn't say. I guess we're kind of getting an idea. But the real thing that I see here is the Southern Baptist Convention, there's all this concern. And whether it be for the money, as many people say, or whether it be because of the, the belief of the 11th commandment in Southern Baptist that they don't speak against their own, right? whatever it is, I think that the result is going to be one of a couple things. Either you're going to have, as we see with this Alabama church— large Southern Baptist churches that are going to pull out of the convention and you're going to lose the conservative vote and the liberals will take over. Or you're going to get fighting between the conservatives that are left, that are in leadership and not doing anything, and those that want something done. And those that want something done are going to be putting pressure and it's going to cause you know, the division. And then they're going to split and the liberals are going to take over. Mm-hmm. Or what I think is most likely is that the current leadership of the SBC will choose to do nothing and then just resign and the liberals will take over. So in all those cases, it's bad for the Southern Baptists. There's the one I'm hopeful for is that the current leadership, the you know, Mark Dever, Al Mohler, would stand up again like they did before and say, no, we have to do something about Beth Moore. We need to do something about. J.D. Greer, which is kind of hard in the position he's at, but they need to step up and say, we need to get these things straightened out. We need to fix them. That's what I'm hopeful for. I, 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 or I should say that's what I pray for. I'm not hopeful for it.
1: No, exactly. I, I agree with you. I think, I think the fundamental problem is that when the conservative resurgence in the SBC did rightly and, and thank God for it, conquer with The issue of authority of Scripture and errancy of Scripture, that was a tremendous thing. But what happened at the same time, almost parallel with that and, and a little bit preceding that, you had this massive church growth movement that continually compromised not only the gospel but the teaching of sound doctrine so that that success that win on the authority of scripture was diminished by the pragmatism of their practice in in seeker sensitive methodology um the correction to this is to get back to the authority and submission to scripture scripture is sufficient as the conference we were at uh was was rightfully declaring um I don't think you see a lot of chatter in the SBC hierarchy uh, that, hey, we need to reconsider. We need to go back to Scripture. We need to consider what it teaches us. uh, Repent and return to that. Um, At the moment, my uh, observation would be that this is just like Eden. God's word has been ignored, has been dismissed, has been disregarded. When that happens, judgment comes, and I think that they are under judgment, that you will see, uh, barring the Lord's intervention by grace, you'll see the SBC under the judgment of the Lord being given over to these very things that are problematic that you see and others see.
0: Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head because I think the issue is, yes, they won on the inerrancy of scripture, but they failed on the sufficiency of scripture. They This is when the culture is how we define scripture, it becomes a problem. Let's take a break, and after this, let's get into our main issue we want to deal with, which is this culture war that we have going on.
1: Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars and pastors. Pick up your copy at the
0: Utah Lighthouse Bookstore
1: or order directly from MRM.org.
0: And that can can also be found at strivingforeternity.org. I am one of the 24 authors, and it's an excellent book teaching evangelism, even if you're not doing it toward Mormons. The other thing I want to talk about as far as a commercial, uh, instead of running a commercial, Bud, you're joining me on this trip, so let's talk about Israel in March of 2021. You and I are going to be going with some great Speakers, we got Justin Peters, Anthony Silvestro, Frank Mullis, myself are going to be speaking. Maybe we may get you to do something, we'll see. But, uh, um, <laughs> we'll get you to write a blog, <laughs> so I can do that. Yeah, so you tell people on my audience can always hear me talk about it. What are you looking forward to with this trip?
1: Oh, wow! Well, besides the fellowship, uh, truly. Uh, I think I, I posted a uh, promotion of it uh, a few days ago on Facebook. Uh, you know, I have, by grace, been to the cross. I have been saved. I've been redeemed. It's all of grace, but I've never been to the Holy Land. And I think that uh, from the testimonies I've heard of other believers who have been there, it really gives you a a much deeper and broader understanding of the narratives that we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It, it puts them in your mind in a way that, uh, you know, simple literacy may not do so when that uh trip was announced it almost overshadowed my wife and i's excitement about going to truth matters we're
0: like oh wow israel that'll be awesome yeah well i was very excited when i saw that you were going it, I, it's it's going to be a great time of fellowship. But I I agree with you. It is being able to be in the places we read about in Scripture. It's hard for me sometimes as a teacher of God's Word to help people kind of put themselves in the setting, see, okay, this is where this happened. This is, here you're in the Sea of Galilee. You want to be able to picture that. Sometimes that can affect the whole way that you end up understanding the Word of God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And being able to be there and see that, we need to be able to do that. And a lot of times people don't they just don't think through things like that. And they think like, "Okay, it's just a trip. It's but it, there's it's more than that. I think it's it really does help our understanding of God's word and it's something it's it's expensive. I I grant people that. But is it worth it if for like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, I think it will greatly improve your understanding of God's Word. And so it is sort of this once-in-a-lifetime type of thing. And I would say if you're going to do once-in-a-lifetime type of thing, do it with some great <laughs> teachers and yeah, f- right. great fellowship.
1: I had some uh, unbelieving friends uh that i told hey wow we're planning this trip to israel and and they were aghast like why would you go there you you could get killed and uh you know i'm thinking
0: what better place if the rapture happens <laughs> we're like right there well the you know the reality is israel is actually safer than driving on the roads in the united states so
1: oh, i don't doubt it we we just drove through la my
0: goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah how is that traffic there you enjoy that
1: Oh, that was beautiful!
0: <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about some things we really don't want to talk about, but we we have to. It, it is this culture war on Christianity. I, I dealt with this on my Apologetics Live podcast with dealing with some other things. I wanted to focus in for our time, you and I, to focus in on James Younger. Now, I've dealt with this issue on a previous episode of the Rap Report with James Younger. This is an issue where you have a a mother, a husband, and wife—they're getting divorced. They have two boys and the mother is at age like five or six started to convince one of the boys, James, that he is a girl, started dressing him that way. And it's become the issue of the divorce. The mother tried to use this to say that the father is shouldn't have any rights to the child because of the fact that he doesn't recognize the gender that James wants to be. Now, what we can see from records is it seemed that when the boy was with James, he, sorry, was with his father, he wanted to be called James, he wanted to dress as a boy, actually anywhere he wanted to be James and a boy, the only time he goes by the name Luna is with his mother. Now, the mother took James to a doctor that confirmed that he is, uh, you know, has gender dysphoria. he's not sure his gender. But more has come out since the original reportings that we gave on this. And maybe some of you have heard about this. I want to try to give you more information and give you guys some biblical insight into this, how we should view this. Now, as we look at this case, we end up seeing that here you have a divorce proceedings. You have, a, And this is very common in divorce proceedings where one person tries to get <clears throat> the other person to have absolutely no rights because then they don't have to see them at all. We've now learned a little bit more of the details where the father was going out and doing a lot of talk shows and trying to to voice what was going on. We now know that there was issues even before they got married. Uh, he, I guess, was lying about pretty much everything about his life before he married her. He said he was a Marine. He's not. He said he... Um, uh, taught at university, and he didn't. Um, that he, you know, he had all his jobs weren't there. That he had all this money. It turns out that he was in in debt. And this it seems to be the typical, unfortunately, the typical case of someone who is trying to maybe get a life. She's a doctor, so he's wants to, you know, get married and live off of her. That's not uncommon with guys that that are like that. So I could. With all that, you can go, okay, I can see her wanting to ditch him, get away from him, and she's upset with him, and she's not wanting her children around him. And so I think that the jury who recently, the jury in this case, we finally heard about, it finally went to court, the jury actually, they had voted or put the uh, thing that where the father could not block the mother from the gender transition of the son, James. This gender transition is supposed to start uh, next year when he turns eight. That She will start giving him uh, chemicals to get him to transition. That will basically prevent him from ever having children. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a very, it's a long-term decision that the mother's making. And I think that we have to take that into account but the the jury basically voted for the mother to have the full rights and the father doesn't have any. Now, after that, the judge stepped in. So this was the jury who placed that sentence, but the judge overruled that and basically gave consent to both uh, for, for both parents. And so now the father does have some say in this. So they both have custody of James. However, there was a video, and I'm so bothered that this video is now taken down. Now, the ju- one of the things the judge did, the judge in ruling that they both have custody also put a gag order over both the, the mother and the father. Now, originally it was, it was reported as just over the father, which was really problematic, I thought. But even over both, it's still problematic. One of the things that happened is that he had to have his website... Uh, taken down I think it was Save James it was a website to raise money that had to come down he's not allowed to speak in the media he's not allowed to speak about it and so now you have a very expensive court case that's going to go on and he no longer has the way of getting the word out to raise funds for it and she has quite a bit of funds well more than he does and has already said that you know there's already been claims that she plans to just sue him into the ground And basically, if she has the resources and he doesn't, and he's got no means of raising the resources, that becomes a problem for him. Now, there is another side to that. This could be that, you know, the governor of Texas has stepped in and said he is going to investigate this and he wants an investigation into this case. So it could be the gag order was put in place because all of a sudden there's no no judge wants all this pressure. And, and the attention and be questioned. And so Governor Greg Abbott is tweeted out. He said, FYI, in the matter of seven-year-old James Younger uh, is being looked into by the Texas Attorney General's Office and the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, hashtag James Younger. The video that we don't have anymore, one of the things that came with the gag order is some videos came down. And one of them, there's two videos that were very important. The, the video that I wanted to play for you guys is one of the father speaking with his son James and saying, Are you a girl? And he says, Well, mommy says I am. He's like, Well, yes. Who told you you're a girl? Mommy told me. Is that why you like dressing? He had a thing in his, you know, to, uh, a thing over his head to make it look like he had long hair. And that's why he's doing that is because mommy tells him he's a girl. Now, in another video, what you ended up seeing is who, what were, you know, what made you think you were a girl? And he mentioned, I forget the name of it, but it was a comic strip character. It was some girl in a comic strip. Mm -hmm. And so what you end up seeing is he is like any other five or six year old kid. He's seeing something on the, on TV and a superhero and wants to be like the superhero. And the mother said, no, 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 you shouldn't be Cosmic Whoever. That's not a good name. You should be Luna. I I, I forget now who it was. It might have actually been uh, Justin Peters. I forget who I was talking to, but I was talking to somebody, and they said, so at six years old, he was old enough to know he's a girl, but not old enough to know his name. (laughs) right. (laughs) So so this is the synopsis of what we see with this culture, and uh, we're going to end up getting into why I think that, you know, why this is an issue for christians but i want to give that backdrop before we get into looking at a biblical perspective on this bud you have anything that you've you want to add to that that we've seen in the news with this case
1: no, this is this is just so incredibly sad. Uh, I mean, this is a 7-year-old and and despite all the uh drama that surrounded their marriage or whatever, the thing that really struck me with all those claims about the the father's deception was that this mother uh wasn't discerning enough. She didn't have enough acumen to recognize her husband's deceit, but she's capable of ascertaining her seven-year-old son's sexual preference, uh, that's just striking to me. That's uh, That speaks to me, someone who is incapable of thinking. This is borderline Paul and Romans with a debased mind. You're not able to think. Uh, but it's tragic for that young boy, and I'm glad to see that maybe there is some uh, intervention and oversight that's going to occur from the governor's office on it.
0: Well, you bring up a should have been this guy's argument in court. Wow. I mean, picture in court saying, well, look, she wasn't smart enough to realize that I was deceiving her. How can you trust her judgment with the child? Cause I really think what you have here is you have a mother who, if, if this is the case, it seems that to get the, to get a case where she can get all the custody, she is willing to destroy her son's life that that to me says she's less of the person who should have the the child in custody i i know of a case i had a, a friend of mine who was going through an an ugly divorce and ugly because the wife basically wa- she she literally left him took the kids and just disappeared mm-hmm. he didn't know where the kids were for for a, weeks But what ended up happening was she attempted something. She wanted to get full custody of the kids. Started to accuse him of of basically sexually molesting the children. And because of that, they said, "Well, we got to do a psych evaluation of the of the father because that would have been then he would never get alone time with the kids. It'd always be, you know, if he ever saw the kids, they would it would be supervised." but she would get the kids. Well, his lawyer did a really intelligent thing and said, well, then if we got to do a psych eval for him, we're going to do a psych eval for her. And the psych eval basically came out that she's nuts, which I could have told you. And she lost custody of the children. So backfired on her. Yeah. But you end up seeing these things where people will say and do really, really bad things in a divorce to basically get what they want and there's It's amazing how sometimes in a divorce proceeding, they don't care who they destroy to get what they want. And in this case, I think you have James Younger. His life is really at risk at what I think maybe the mother is trying to do in a divorce proceeding.
1: Yeah. I think back to uh, a principle that uh, Justin Peters, in his book uh, on uh, child baptism, uh, Do Not Hinder Them, a principle that he called out, and it's wisdom. This is biblical wisdom. Uh, you used to see this kind of thinking, this kind of acumen in the world, but you don't anymore, particularly in this case. The fact is, we're talking about a seven-year-old boy. Whatever mother, whatever the mother's motivation is for this, it is not his best interest uh, that is – Uh, driving her but the principle is this uh, ask that seven-year-old boy who uh, apparently was intrigued with superheroes then uh, found the whole notion of being a girl when he's a boy uh, appealing ask that child uh, do you believe in Santa Claus do you believe in the Easter Bunny do you believe in these things the seven-year-old is unable to distinguish reality how much more so is he unable to distinguish his gender? Now, we know the Lord has done right in making him male. That is his gender. That is uh, uh, something that ought not be changed, though culture says we can do this. But if, and I don't advocate for this at all, if he's seven years old and she thinks legitimately that he should be a girl, well, is that going to change by the time he's 18? Is that going to change by the time he's 21? Why does this have to happen now? Um, there's some motivation on the part of the mom that maybe you know, maybe you've read. I, I'm not aware of, um, but your your comment is right. The best interest of that child is is being waylaid by whatever other desires are pushing this.
0: Yeah, I think that we he's eight years old and going to have a decision that is going to affect the rest of his life. He doesn't he doesn't have the ability at this age to think through these things. So. Let's look at this from a biblical perspective. As Christians, how do we view things like this? Well, the first off is God has organized a structure of family. You have a husband and wife. They leave their parents. They cleave to one another. They become one family. They become one. They start a family. They have children of their own. But the biblical order is that the parents have responsibility to raise those children so that those children will leave the home and be able to have their own family. Right. You, you have to do what's in the best interests for God first, for the family, for your children. So it, what I see in this case is I see someone who's doing what's best for her and, and they're both guilty of doing what they think is best for them because he's, he's lied and done a whole bunch of things. So it's not a, a blatant just because I think what she's doing wrong in this particular case doesn't mean that everything he's done wrong is justified. No, but as parents, they've, they have a biblical responsibility, a God given responsibility to care for James and raise him to be a stable individual. I mean, ultimately they should be raised to to believe in Christ, but <laughs> to, to know him, but they don't know Christ. So they're not going to do that. But they do still have that biblical responsibility. And this is what is not being discussed in, in this whole case that I'm hearing from the worldly perspective is the responsibility not to sit here and think that a seven year old understands everything. I mean, why, why don't we allow him to smoke cigarettes till he's 18, drink till he's 21, vote till he's 18, make these major life decisions? Why can't he do those things? Because he doesn't have the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding of life yet. And yet, right. at six years old, he understands the most important thing, that he really isn't biologically a male.
1: It's insane.
0: Yeah. and But this is part of a, a broader culture war that we have going on. You you and I were have a, a bunch of clips. I'm going to give everyone links to all this stuff in the show notes. But we were seeing on Fox News, they reported of a Christian doctor who had... 30 years he lost his job because he refused to call a transgender patient by the preferred pronoun. Right. Now this is in Britain, this is a British doctor and he he basically in the, in the interview said there's there's nothing there's nothing that re, would say that he's got to call them by a pronoun that they are not. It's 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 unintellectual, it's it's unscientific, it's bad for the patient and He, As a Christian, he doesn't want to do it, and that, I think, was the real thing, because he was a Christian.
1: Yeah, I think that's it, and I I think that believers these days who are going to take sort of the cultural response to these kinds of issues, well, it doesn't really affect me. It will affect you. It will be made to affect you, because the real motivation, just like MacArthur commented about feminism, it, it is not about equality. They're not seeking equity with all of the other genders in the world. This is about power. And we, because of our faith, understand power to derive exclusively from God, and we're going to defend that. We're going to contend that for that sake. Um, you will be made to uh, cater to this. And this doctrine in Britain is a perfect example. Uh, you've, you've lost your job because you won't use a pronoun. I mean, think about the lunacy of this, and uh, you can just follow this in in any number of directions to see that persecution is coming to us. These kinds of examples, um, they'll become legislated, and the government will weigh in, and they will make a determination on uh, whether you're complying or whether you're not. And Christians simply cannot comply with this kind of thing.
0: And the reason being, this is hard for people to see. They don't because they don't want to see it. There is an attack on Christianity. You now, think about all this stuff, folks. Why don't you see this going after the Muslims? What is it that the Christians want to do? The Christians want to say, "Hey, believe the gospel." What do the Muslims want to do? Kill them. Yeah. All right. So there's a huge difference here. Yeah. And you don't see this being played out in a way that seems like, well, they should be upset with the Muslims. No, they support the Muslims in, in these things. And that's where you can see what the real agenda is. It is an anti-Christian agenda. I, I've said this before, and people get upset with me. It goes back to an article I read in the 80s. I always feel like I have to explain how I read the, this article. But I, I, I was at the university. I was it, There are only a few of us that were there over christmas break because most students go home uh, i couldn't afford to to travel back home and my folks moved to florida so i was on campus there's one other guy he was an ra he had he he basically showed me in the janitor's closet this homosexual magazine i don't know if he was he was drunk at the time was he a homosexual and or practicing homosexuality and want to see if i was interested but he gives me his magazine to get my opinion and I read this article. The article basically laid out how you, how to get homosexuality in the mainstream. And the interesting thing I saw with it is they said, we need to be victims. We, we have to be victimized, but we don't really want to be victimized. So how do we, how do we play off being victims without being victimized? You need someone that everyone believes is actually victimizing you when they're not actually doing it. And they identified why it should be Christians. And they said, because the Christians won't actually do anything. And in the end, the Christians will actually help us push it, but we can still make it look like they're still victimizing us. But I've said this over and over and over again, folks. What you get in power with, you stay in power with. Adolf Hitler blamed the Jews for things. But once he got in power, he couldn't stop blaming the Jews. He had to keep it going. And so that's exactly what he did. And it just got out of hand because he kept having to escalate, escalate, escalate. The same thing is happening here. Barack Obama changed. He had an evolution And his views on this stuff changed. Well, what ended up happening? He couldn't stop that. And no one else could either. To a point that, you know, another thing that I saw in the news, and I don't know if I even sent this one to you, Bud, but uh, I got this from activist Mommy. There was a transgender, had child pornography convictions overturned because he was, quote, struggling with his identity, unquote.
1: I saw that, the case in Australia.
0: Yeah, And so what you have here is that now if someone just says, and we had this here in New Jersey, we had a governor that was basically they were investigating and and they were going to bring charges for embezzlement of the state of state funds in New Jersey. What did he do? He went, I'm a homosexual. That's why I'm having these struggles. That's why everyone's after me. And all of a sudden he said, I'm going to resign. And that was it. He said that he hired this guy from Israel and that he, the reason he hired him is because they were they were lovers. He told stories of having the state troopers bring him to truck stops so he can meet up with men. the 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 guy from Israel was like, "I'm not a homosexual. None of this happened." The state troopers were like, "We don't know what he's talking about." But all of the investigation into really serious crimes got dropped because well you know the real issues he he was he was doing all this because he was you know trying to hide his homosexuality
1: (laughs) yeah i mean let me let me read this andrew this this was just absolutely shocking and this is where it's going to go uh this is a quote from uh an article on that activist mommy uh it says in australia one transgender quote unquote woman that is biological male has just earned his freedom from virtually any punishment for one of the most disgusting crimes imaginable, possessing images of child sex abuse. He has earned this unthinkable protection from prosecution because he was supposedly, quote, struggling with issues concerning transgender identity. This is absurd. This is
0: depravity. Well, and I think where it's going to end, we're I think that we're, that we're now seeing the culture go, wait a minute, uh, what in the world's going on? You may have seen the news that there's a biological male who has won, not one, but two years of cycling world championship. Uh, th- this is starting to be, we have the biological male who's broken world records for women's squats and bench press in deadlift. So you have these men who are performing now in, in female sports and I like I've said, this is where they're going to wake up and go, wait, there's a problem here because this is the end of female sports. You can't have women competing against men. Why is it that in sports you can't have certain drugs that, that produce testosterone because it gives you the advantage. Right. And here we have men who have more of that than the women. And so, they're biologically they're male. Now one solution to that, I, I thought this was very interesting. Someone I was talking to said, well, they need to have the only way to save female sports is you need a new, a new category. You need men's sports, you need women's sports and you need transgender sports. Transgender and sports, and then they can, yeah. And then they can compete on their own because the simple reality, there's a reason that these men are competing with the women's sports. Now, now this, this biological male uh, goes, um, I guess by the name of Rachel, what, what you end up seeing um, is that this this male is competing in female sports, and the thing that blows me away. I'm going to give you. Uh, I'm going to give you the the tweet that he put out. "Quote: I have yet to meet a real champion who has a problem with trans women. Real champions want stronger competition. If you win because bigotry, you got competition banned. You're a loser." Unquote. So real the real champions want real competition mm. well then compete with the men i mean it's it's really simple the reason this person is doing what they're doing is because they can't win against men they they're 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 you're seeing this over and over that people that are gonna they are gonna compete with the women and they're constantly winning where they wouldn't win against the men and this is i think going to be the end of female sports yeah
1: yeah but what it does uh really, truly, all, all of these examples, it shows the inconsistency, the inherent inconsistency of a godless ideology. Uh, you can't put these things together and think that we're going to have a happy, blissful humanity uh, because they, within their own um, ideology, are going to be at each other's throat. They, they compete with one another ideologically. Uh, it, it's completely inconsistent
0: and the they're trying to support the trans, and this becomes the thing it's all about supporting what this this agenda and the agenda can get as wacky as they can get, and people have to continue supporting it I mean to the point where you if you ha if you maybe some of the men don't know about this product, but there's a a product called always <laughs> it's a it's a thing for women specifically <laughs> okay right, for that yes. time of the month that they need uh, the you know padding, and so always had to drop the female symbol from their menstrual products after pressure from a transgender activist. I mean, so Procter & Gamble said that they were, they're, they're going to erase the symbol from their product because they don't want to offend, right? Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, what is... What is a guy going to do with this thing? Yeah, but notice
1: the inconsistency between that the, the feminists and the transgender. Uh, they're responding by removing the Venus symbol out of deference to not offend transgenders. And in so doing, they're offending the feminists.
0: Yeah, well, the, the, see, but the feminists are in a very difficult position. This is the irony that I see going on. This is so interesting. You see... Generations ago, where women had to fight for the right to vote, and that's a legitimate thing, right? They wanted to, the right to be to vote, to be able to have a say in the in the morality of the country because all laws are morality. Every time you do a law, you're saying that's moral, that's right, that's wrong. They wanted a say in that, but now in in the push to, to say women's rights and all this, they, they've they've pushed, but they couldn't stop there. People took it further to the point where now those original feminists are starting to have issues and you end up seeing that the result of this is now the very feminism that they wanted is being silenced because now you have the transgenders who are going to, the sports, uh, you know, that you had the, the female, uh, the, the, the I'm trying to remember who it was now the tennis player that is a practicing lesbian who came out and said, you can't have men, play as women's sports. It's going to be the end of women's sports. And here's someone who is a practicing homosexual outspokesman for LGTB. And she's now been sidelined. She's no longer a reporter for the new, for the the tennis. And what ended up happening? Like you can't, you can't say anything about that. Like everyone can see it. It's common sense, but you're not supposed to say it right now, folks, there is an agenda. You say, well, no, you're making this up. There is an agenda behind all this. And unfortunately, I, I couldn't get grab the clip. Uh, I do this for you guys because it makes me sick to do this, but I listen to about four or five different gender podcasts. I listen to see what it is they're doing, what they're saying, what they're pushing. And I forget if it was on, uh, if it was from Gender Reveal or Gender Rebels. I think it was one of those, um, two podcasts or it could have been beyond gender one of them but they basically were saying that they couldn't wait for socialism so that we can be done with all this you know view that there's only two genders Mm. and that is the the thing there is a push behind this there are there are people that are using all this stuff and it's the left it's the people that want to close an open system I want to play this because I'm sure many of you don't. I'll have the link so you can watch the video. But, you know, the, the RNC, as, as much as I have issues with a lot of what they they do, uh, they, they are no different in many ways than the Democrats in just wanting to, to get their power. But they actually did a commercial. The Re- Republican National... Committee and announced a new campaign against socialism, because the Democrats are, are really they are running on something that is anti-American. They're running on a platform that is completely about socialism and pushing socialism. Well, what does socialism look like? Well, they created, a, um, I guess, a campaign that can be found at VictimsofSocialism.org, and it features... ...interviews and people who have had to flee socialism of Venezuela. V- Venezuela was has only turned socialist in the last decade or so. Remember, when George W. Bush was president, that's when, you know, Vález was running. So, in the time it took him to become president of Venezuela and then turn it socialist. He's now dead, but they've continued with it. They now kill each other on the streets for food. Yeah, That's what socialism looks like. And and the, the socialists here in America think, well, we could do it right. Well, it didn't work in Venezuela. It didn't work in Cuba. We've seen this time and time again where people think they can work it out. Now you have the whole gender movement thinking that the solution, the reason, and that's what they actually said, the, the reason we have gender... You, Issues the reason that they said that there were people fighting the gender is because of capitalism. Now, capitalism doesn't cause this,
1: <laughs>
0: if anything, capitalism would be the solution to it if they, had, if they had just identified as a mental illness that it is. Yeah, and it's look, biology, we're the ones talking science. Everyone says Christians don't understand science, we're the ones talking science. XY, XX, that's science, right? Yeah. this whole idea of, well, I don't identify that way. Well, you know, there's people that identify as George Washington. It doesn't mean they are. We don't take that serious. We help them. Instead of helping them, we're encouraging mental illness, all for a political goal. Let let me me play this clip. And I think that this even though you can't see it I'll give you the links for the audio But it, it, even the words you, you get the idea of it Fires, stone throwing and water cannon Rallies which began peacefully Have once again degenerated Into violence in Venezuela According to activists At least one person died And scores were injured You need to protect your country The, the American people Need to pro- protect United States uh, 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 From the, the socialist polity It's crazy it's incredible. With the socialists, um, take you, you, your, liberty, and offer on um, little candy. It's all free. Free tuition at public colleges.
1: Raise your hand if gov- if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants free tuition and fees. All
0: people get it regardless of their income, it is publicly funded. The, the strategic is all free. As if you are all free, you offer your liberty, okay? The socialist person, the socialist people, they are
1: very good as a poet. And they are very good in oratory.
0: Thank you for showing up. Thank you for fighting for our lives. And thank you for fighting for the generations to come because we are not going to give up.
1: But they never have created anything in their life.
0: Of course, we made a, a terrible mistake. You know, we, we didn't listen. Many people warned us and said, you know, you need to stop this and you do not need to go for this. And unfortunately, we make the error to say that's not going to happen in Venezuela.
1: There's one thing that we always say is these socialist promoters, they should go there and
0: see the reality of what's going on. This is how Venezuelans spend most of their time now, in line not for luxuries, but basics. Hambre, necesidad. We are hungry, we have needs, we have no food. Look at this line. They focus on
1: how to maintain in the power. And if we have to maintain the power, we
0: have to control everybody. And so that's what you end up seeing, a great commercial. A great ad because it shows what's really at stake in America. They they're they're using this culture war to silence the one group that believes in absolute morality. This is no different than happened. You saw this happen in Germany. You saw this happen in Cuba. You saw this happen in Venezuela. It happens over and over and over again that the Christians have to be silenced because they're going to stand up because they have something more important than the culture and that's the God of the Bible that we're accountable to. All and right. so th- folks, this is what we're up against. They are trying to get power and they need to silence Christianity. This is the way they're gonna go and do it. Now, I why do we go through all this? <laughs> right? So so if you feel like John MacArthur here, bud. So that all of that was introduction. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now if you'll open your text to- yeah
0: <laughs> right for folks who listen to John McCarthy you, you you know what that's like he gets 45 minutes into a sermon and says all that's introduction let's get to the text <laughs> but why why do we go through all this it's for one simple reason for the Christian believer we want you to realize that there is something more important at stake here this is not about do, do we feel bad about James and what he's going through yes Do we feel that there's an outrage over uh, people who are having mental illness and being encouraged in it, people who are being abused, people who are abusing the system, people who are using this to get power and control? Yes, to all of that. But what's more important? All of that, which given a thousand years, that's going to be gone. All of all these issues, everything, all those issues we've talked about so far, gone in a thousand years. You know what's not gone in a thousand years? The soul of every human person that we've spoken about. Those souls won't be gone. What's more important is the gospel being presented to folks. We can get so caught up in the politics and the culture wars, the attacks that we see, and we can get caught in that and lose perspective, of what we really need to be doing. We need to recognize the war is coming. We need to recognize that we are going to be the ones persecuted. Maybe it's not going to be like the Holocaust. Maybe it's going to be what you had in, in Cuba where you're just imprisoned, not killed. Maybe it's going to be like Venezuela. It, w- whatever it is, we can expect that we as Christians are going to suffer persecution and the Joel Osteen churches are going to be emptied. Bethmore Moore, the, the, you know, they're gone. They're not going to, they're not going to be willing to put up with the persecution. Those people who are looking just to use Christianity as a platform to make money.
1: Precisely.
0: But the genuine Christians, we need to be prepared. We need to be in our Bibles. We need to ready ourselves to give a defense, give an answer, because the world is going to come knocking on our door. And it's not going to be to say, so what is it you believe? It's going to be repent of this stuff, change from this stuff. Or go to prison, go to jail, go to death, whatever. Right. None enough Christians, I think, bud, are ready for this.
1: No, I agree with you. I, I think that we fail to understand historically from the first century New Testament church where persecution was rampant, which was used by God for the spread of the gospel. I think we fail to understand that persecution of Christians of Christians and of Christianity, of the church is in fact the greatest witness of the church to the world it it validates the legitimacy of the christian faith because like you said earlier they're not going after islam they're not going after hinduism they're not going after any of these other faiths um, that we know are false but they're going after christianity why is that because this is real this is different this is this is god-given grace through the gospel of christ by which we are saved and in which we stand.
0: And this is the thing that we have to recognize: is that we we serve a risen King. We we're not. We know the end. <laughs> Read Re- book right. of Revelation. For for all the people that want to debate over the, the the end times and what Revelation is, here's a real simple thing: God wins. Jesus right. wins, and we're on the winning side. We need to keep that in mind, and, and our concern is not over winning these battles here on Earth. It is about the souls of these people. Yeah, You know, I, I said this on Jack's Live when I was talking about Kanye West, but I, I've thought for a while, it'd be great to see a revival. You know what might actually be what God could use to bring it about? If Kanye West legitimately gets saved, which it seems he did, but he, if he is to... Surround himself with and get discipled very well. What we may see is if he has an impact on all of these other culture influencers that they 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 helped create this culture. Could God use a man like Kanye West to reverse the very culture he created? Be an interesting thing to see. If so, but. We might be able to see that. I pray that we will have a revival, but guess what? More importantly, revival starts with us. It starts with us getting right with God ourselves, and that's what we have to do. And so by doing that, I think we get into a position where we'll be able to have an impact on culture, but it starts with us. We need to be in our in the Word of God. Stop with all the distractions of culture we want to influence the culture with the gospel. That's the thing. So Exactly. Any, any last things you want to say on this before we play a game?
1: Before we play a game? Oh my goodness. Now I'm <laughs> trembling.
0: <laughs> You shouldn't be. You listen to enough rap reports. You know it's coming.
1: <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna quote uh, Spurgeon with regard to revival. Spurgeon said, "If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the Word of God, and that's where our faith starts. That's where our faith ends. We have uh, an incarnate Word, and we have an inscripturated
0: Word. We can't neglect either one. See, and that brings us back full circle because this goes back to how we started on the issue of the idea that the inerrancy of scripture is not enough. We also need the sufficiency of scripture if we're going to impact the culture. Yes. So let's play a game after this commercial. Ding dong. Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong mormons christian are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell do you know what your muslim and jewish friends believe you will if you get andrew Rappaport's book what do they believe when we witness to people we need to present the truth but it is very wise to know what they believe and you will get andrew Rappaport's book at what do all right, and so we do have a second edition of that book that is now out, and they're added a chapter on that, on basically what it makes Christianity unique. The reason I ended up doing that is because I didn't realize how many people use the book. What do they believe as an evangelism tool? And it wasn't really written for that, but if it's going to be, it needs to have a chapter saying the uniqueness of Christianity and explain the gospel. So it now does. So let's play a game.
1: Am I going to get an autographed
0: copy of that? To start the spiritual transition game. Yeah, we could give you an autographed copy. All right, cool. so let's play a let's play a game here, and Bud, you you know the game. Uh, You're going to give me something, and I have to take from whatever you give me, I have to transition to the gospel. Now, why do we play the game for folks who may be new here? We play this game because for many Christians, they have difficulty sharing the gospel, and the real difficulty is how do you swing from the natural to the spiritual? And we do this to show you that you can do this with any topic. It just takes some practice. Just look for ways to be conversational, to figure out how do I take this conversation and swing it into the gospel. Sometimes it's easier than others, but let's see how I do today. (laughs) Go ahead, bud. I'm trembling.
1: Okay. Um, I really, and am right now, enjoying the fragrant scent of a balsam forest candle. It's tremendous. And I think that really makes things spiritual for me.
0: Well, you know it's very interesting that you'd mention that it, th- this candle would make things spiritual for you because right off the bat you recognize you've given it a scent name and that scent is supposed to represent what it what it, the wording is, right? So you have this candle, it's not really that scent. It's a bad representation of it. It's an attempt to reproduce a scent that you're going to recognize but here's the thing that that, that the candle does if you already know the real scent the candle doesn't have to actually be real it just has to be close enough to fool you and make it seem like it's the same scent because your memory is going to fill in the rest and your brain will actually fill that in so what it does it just has to be close enough to that scent just close enough to the real thing but it's still fake it's not the real thing And so it's interesting that you'd bring it up with the idea of spirituality because many people actually do the same thing when it comes to spirituality. We have this representation of the truth that's close, but not close enough to be the real thing, but close enough to fool us and make us feel better about ourselves. Let me explain what I mean. Every single man-made religion has the idea of man working his way to heaven. And you'll see a lot of good spiritual things in every one of those religions, except they miss on the one thing that's essential, which is that God did all the work, and man's works can't count for that. We can't add to that. And so the real thing is there, but our brains kind of fill in with the fake that says we can earn our way. And so the representation is not the real thing. And the difference literally between the representation in this case And the real thing is the difference between eternal death and eternal life. So in this case, you might have a candle that represents the scent, but it's not the same thing and it's not a big deal. But when you talk about your spirituality, well, that representation will lead you to eternal damnation, where the truth will lead you to eternal life. So the representation is nothing like the real thing. So mm. I think I think that was actually an easier one that that I've ever had to do. <laughs> it I'll, came I'll quicker.
1: harder next time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> what
1: must I do to be safe?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, but uh, we're going to you and I are going to get back together in a, in a um a couple of weeks the next episode that we're going to do that you'll listen to is Andrew Smith and I got together He's a pastor down in Florida. Man, all these Florida guys, what am I doing? I better move down there. Um, It's getting cold up here. And Andrew and I are going to talk about church history, the importance of church history. We recorded it before Reformation Day. But I think that what you end up seeing is that there's going to be a lot of things we're going to talk about with history, why it's so important, how we need to be evaluating history, not to repeat it. And then, Bud, you and I, we want to get together and deal with this as a topic Red Letter Christianity. Some people have heard it, some have not. Right. This is something that's starting to grow, and we're seeing this. And this is going to bring us right back to how we started this one, because Beth Moore is starting to argue like this, along with many others. And yeah. I think that is a real concern. If you don't know what Red Letter Christianity is, make sure you subscribe to the rap Report so that you don't miss that. Uh, if you enjoy this show, please share with others. Let others know about this so that they could find out. We We appreciate... Uh, all the people that give reviews. And I will say this for folks. Would you consider writing a review? We have the links in the show notes for iTunes. Write a review. It does not help us at all in the ratings. It doesn't. I know all all podcasters say What it does do is encourage us. If you want to email us, just to let us know has this podcast helped you? If you found this podcast helpful, would you email us? Let us know that. We want to dialogue with you. Info at org. That's info at org. Also, here's the thing that I want to put out there. And for the end of the year, I want to do an end of the year podcast between Christmas, New Year's, hearing from you guys. So either email us or send us in a Voice or video of how this how the ministry of striving fraternity, or specifically the podcast, has been a blessing to you. If you have found value in this, we want to air that for others. So we want to do a an end of the year episode, and we want to have it about you guys. And so, if you would email us at info at strivingfraternity dot org, either a testimony that we'll read or a voice of you saying it please let us know. And we would love to have that. We'd love to hear from you guys because this is something that we're speaking into the microphone, but we want to hear from you. We want to have this to be a show that is supported by you guys. So I appreciate that. And lastly, if you want to help support us, you can go to strivingforattorney.org slash donate. Many of you know that we have a campaign. We want to get... 100 donors at $25 a month. We have our our biggest donor who's retiring at the end of this year. His support will be stopping and uh, he donates about a third of our, our donations. And so we need to make that up. So we're looking to get a hundred people to step up with us and to donate just $25 a month. That's like one cup of Starbucks coffee a week, you know? Um, (laughs) But, but would you do that? Would you, would you join us? We, we really try to make an impact on, on discipling people, especially in some of the smaller churches, discipling other ministries. And the impact that we do may not be one that's seen by people because we're working kind of more behind the scenes in helping smaller churches, smaller ministries, so they would have a larger impact. And because they're smaller, because we target where no one else will, we target on those smaller churches, not as many people see that impact. So if we've had an impact on your life, if we've helped you, maybe you'd consider helping us to impact others. So just go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate and consider being a monthly supporter with us today. So until next week, remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God.